invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through the end of the chapter and be looking this morning specifically at verses 17 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, let's pick it up at verse 17, verse 11, excuse me. Paul writes this, but when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we need your Holy Spirit now to understand your gospel. And we thank you that he has been given to us the Spirit of Christ Himself, who will explain to us these things. And so I pray that we would receive His ministry uh, through His Word, so that, Lord, we could hear and understand and believe the Gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text this morning contains uh, some of the most astonishing and necessary good news in all of the Bible. Uh, it's astonishing good news because it reveals a gospel that is far more true and beautiful than uh, we tend to think it is, uh, and it reveals, uh, it's, it's necessary because uh, failing to understand the depths of the gospel, we will inevitably fall back into living the Christian life by law, not by faith. I was listening to a sermon by Conrad Mbewe, uh, however, I, I know how to spell his name, I'm not quite sure how to say it. He's a wonderful pastor down in Zambia, and if you ever get a chance just to listen to uh, his sermons, he's really, really worth listening to. But he was talking about this text, and he says, uh, in Zambia, he talks to many people, and he asks them, are you a Christian? And they say, oh, yes, pastor, I, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I, I, I go to church, and he says, well, the devil goes to church. Uh, yes, I know, Pastor, but uh, I'm a serious Christian. I, I go to church uh, and I go to the, I go to the prayer meetings. Uh, I tithe, I pray, I read my Bible. Um, 
and, uh, and, and they go on a long list of reasons why they, they know that they're a Christian. And, and then and Conrad says, a brother, do you understand that, that that's living by the law? Uh, you're, explaining, you're defining your, your faith, your Christian life, uh, in terms of all the things that you do. Uh, but the Christian life cannot be defined by all the things that we do. The Christian life must be defined by all the things that Jesus has done for us and all that we are in him. Um, one of the reasons why so many Christians feel discouraged and feel like failures is because we're defining the Christian life by what we do. Uh, and Paul here, um, in a wonderful way, it just shines a light on sort of the inner workings of the gospel. What does it really mean to be a Christian? And what is it, uh, what's a Christian life look like? Uh, I, like uh, many of you, grew up in a uh, solid, uh, conservative, Christian Reformed church where we read the law every Sunday morning, every single Sunday morning. I think we even read the law for Christmas services. It was just what you did uh, in a service, which was, uh, so, so that means that the weekly refrain of my Christian upbringing was, thou shalt not. Now the law is good, isn't it? It's God's law. And it's meant to do things. It's meant to explain uh, what sin is and warn us of the consequences of sin. It's meant to show us the character of God. It's meant to uh, show us our need for Christ. All of those uh, things are good and necessary. But the refrain of the Christian life cannot be, thou shalt not. The refrain of the Christian life must be, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And those are not the same two things. The refrain of the Christian life has to be all that Jesus has done for me, all that Jesus promises to me, all that I truly am in Christ forever. The refrain of the Christian life, in other words, cannot be guilt but grace. It cannot be law. It must be faith. And that's the point of our text this morning. If you remember, Paul is in the midst of an argument with the, uh, these Jewish Christians men that we call Judaizers, uh, men who professed faith in Jesus Christ, but wanted to blend faith and law. And so they taught that you, uh, to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to come under all the commandments of the Mosaic law. And they were wildly successful in their teaching. It was a hit. Uh, Paul says all the Jewish Christians in the churches of Galatia uh, thought that sounded like a great idea. That Gentiles need to be made like us. And, and even Peter and Barnabas were led astray by this teaching. It's a sober reminder to all of us how quickly we gravitate to law and how slow we are to live by grace and, uh, and by faith. Uh, we like law. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Give me this seven... Right, uh, sure certain steps to, to help me attain the life that I want to live. We like law. The gospel, though, is not law. The gospel is a message of grace and faith. So Paul combats this deadly error of the Judaizers, and uh, he, he publicly rebukes Peter, and then he gives this powerful summary of core gospel truth, where he just lays it down. Uh, by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one, not a single person will be justified by works of the law. So you can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can, you can do the sacraments, uh, you can do everything that your pastor tells you to do. It will not make you righteous. You will not be justified. God will not declare you 
uh, on that great final day before the throne of judgment, God will not say to you, I, I see your attendance record here, wow, righteous. It's not going to happen. He's not going to say, wow, I see how, um, you know, how good you've been, how hard you've tried, um, how faithful you were. No one, no one, this is the Bible, this is Pastor Dale, no one will be justified by works of the law. Just set it down as a rule. And so if you're trying to gain God's approval by being good, Paul wants you to know it won't work. It can't work. No one will be justified by works of the law. That's the first fundamental principle. The other that Paul wants to understand is that we are justified by faith alone and that we live the Christian life by faith. So the Christian life is about coming to receive what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We look at that, at that the last time. But that we go on in the Christian life by faith, trusting all that is true for us by virtue of Jesus. And that, that, that makes all the difference. We'll see this morning. I want you to imagine, boys and girls, I want you to imagine um, a, a machine. Maybe it, looks like a, maybe it looks like a large refrigerator or a phone booth. Let's just say it looks like a phone. You don't remember what phone booths are. Let's say, all right. It looks like a refrigerator, all right? A really big refrigerator. And a man explains to you, boys and girls, that if you step into this machine, he's going to push a button, and uh, you're going to come out about 10 minutes later with superhuman abilities. You're going to be able to see like a hawk. You're going to run like a deer. You're going to have the strength of a bear. All right? That sounds pretty good. But you might want to ask some questions before you step into it. Like, well, what does it actually do to my body? Does it pluck my eyes out and, like, give me some super cameras or something? What, what actually happens to me inside there? How does it work? Well, that's what we want to ask about the gospel. How does it actually work? What, what's the dynamics of, uh, of being a Christian? How do, you, how do you become a Christian? But what, what does God actually do to you to, that produces this new miraculous you? What happens? Well, Paul explains what happens. And he uses his own personal testimony. So he's in verses 17 and 18. He's responding to a criticism, a charge that would be made by the Judaizers, the men who really care about law and care about morality. Uh, and they would say, Paul, if you tell people that you're not justified by what you do, if, if you tell people they're justified freely by grace and through faith, well, what motive would they have to be good? They're just going to live however they want to live. And Paul uh, goes on to say, well, if, if we, uh, the principle stands, and if people sin as Christians, that doesn't invalidate the principle. It just, it just says, um, he, he says, it, it just means that people, people are sinners. Uh, it doesn't drag Christ into my sin. Is Christ a servant of sin? Is Jesus encouraging me to sin? No, he's not. Uh, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I go back to trying to, if I get back into the law work and try to make myself right, what I'm going to do is prove myself to be a transgressor. How does that work? Well, um, Paul explains what happened to him. So we're first going to look at a new freedom. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. Paul talks about this much more extensively in Romans chapter 6 and 7. And the point is just this. It's, it's not that hard to understand. We are all born under the law of God. Every single person um, is obligated 
to worship God, obligated to obey God. And the law says, uh, so we have all these thou shalt nots, right? Which, which makes it pretty clear what obedience looks like. And the law comes with a promise and a penalty. If you keep the law, uh, you will live forever. You will be blessed by God if you keep the law. And it comes with a penalty. If you don't keep the law, you will pay the penalty of the law, which is death. That's the law. And since we've all broken the law, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we are all under the penalty of the law. So the critical question is, well, how do we escape the penalty? You've done the, time, the crime. How do you avoid doing the time? How do you avoid the penalty? Well, the only way out is, is payment of the penalty or death. Okay, those are your two options. Pay the penalty or die. Now, let me explain. One way to get free is pay the penalty. So, if, boys and girls, if you rob a bank, there's laws against robbing banks. Um, someone once asked a, a man who continued to rob banks, why do you keep robbing banks? He says, well, that's where the money is. But there are laws against robbing banks. And, uh, and so if you get caught robbing a bank, boys and girls, the, the judge is going to say, there's a law here and the penalty is 20 years in prison. So if you go to prison for 20 years, after 20 years, you're free from the penalty of the law. It has no more claim on you. You've paid the penalty. You're free to go. You're a free man. You're free from the law. The other way to get free is to die. The law has no claim on you, right, as long as you, uh, the law has a claim on you only as long as you're alive. So that's Romans 7 verse 1 and following. Paul just makes that argument. When you die, the law doesn't have a claim on you. The prosecuting attorney doesn't have anyone to prosecute. You, you've moved beyond the long arm of the law. It cannot prosecute you. It has no more claim on you when you're in the grave. Now, Paul says what happens to a Christian when they come to faith is, is this. So you come to Christ as a criminal. You've broken the law. And you are under the penalty of the law. And the law of God is hot on your heels. But when you flee to Christ, you escape the penalty of the law, and you escape the penalty of the law both by payment and by death. You escape the penalty of the law by payment. How? When Christ goes to the cross bearing your sin, He is atoning for your guilt. He is suffering uh, the penalty that you and I deserve. So Jesus actually paid it all on the cross. He paid the penalty. All of it. There's no more to be paid so that the demand of the law is satisfied. And when you come to Christ in faith and are united to Christ, that means that your debt to the law is satisfied. You're a free man, a free woman when it comes to the law because of the payment of of Christ because of his death but secondly we escape through death also right Christ's death becomes our death so that in regards to the law we're dead the law has no claim on you anymore it can never have a claim on you again it can never accuse you again all the thou shalt nots and all the just penalty of them have no more hold on you 
You are free from the law. The law that stood over you, the law that condemned you, the law that required a penalty, you've died to that. There's been a break. And you're no longer under the law. Paul will say you're under grace. Why is this true? Well, because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He wants us to understand that something radical happened to him. He was crucified with Jesus. And he does not mean that as an analogy. It's not a metaphor. It's a spiritual truth, spiritual reality. The perfect tense, I have been crucified, is meant to describe something that really and truly happened with ongoing implications. The passive tense is that something happened to him. Something was done to him. He's not saying, I crucified myself with Jesus. No, somebody did this to him. Who did it to him? God did it to him. God gave Paul to Christ, and God crucified Paul with Christ. And that's the most incredibly good news imaginable. It means that when Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. Uh, Phil Riken points out that there were four things nailed to the cross when Jesus died. The, the first thing, obviously, was Jesus himself, nailed to the cross bearing our sin. The very Son of God was nailed to the cross. Secondly, there was a plaque, a sign that was nailed to the cross proclaiming this Jesus of Nazareth uh, to be who he actually was, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah promised by the prophets of old. A sign was nailed to the cross. In Colossians 2.14, we read that the guilt of all of our crimes and the legal record of our guilt, of, our, of our, um, all of our transgressions, the legal record of all of our sin was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2.14, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When he nailed Jesus, his son, to the cross, he nailed the record, the legal record of my guilt and my sin to the cross. And it stayed there. And then fourthly, you were nailed to the cross. If you are a Christian, you can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. The crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, is not just something that happened to Jesus, it happened to you. It happened to everyone who believes in him. His death was your death to the law. The, the, the penalty has been paid, and you have passed over from death. Um, you've passed over into this new realm of grace. The law has no claim on you ever again. The law is still true. It just has no claim on you. You're no longer under law. You're in a brand new status. So when, when the Judaizers come along and, and say, uh, Paul, you, you need to submit to the law, Paul will say, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I died to the law. I died to the law as a means of righteousness. It has no hold on me. has no claim on me. I live to God. The stunning nature of this um, reality, I think, is captured uh, just almost perfectly or, or helpfully by Martin Luther. Luther says this, a Christian is not someone who has no sin. A Christian is not someone who feels no sin. 
He is someone to whom, because of his faith in Christ, God does not impute his sin. Just let that settle down on you. It means that when you sin, did you sin this week? Did you, uh, did you scream in anger at your kids? Maybe have a bitter heart? Uh, were you impatient? Did you give in to sexual sin? Did you lie? Did you steal? Maybe from your employer by not giving a full day's work? Boys and girls, did you, did you disobey mom or dad? Did you sin this week? The gospel says that God does not impute your sin. It doesn't stand between you and God. It doesn't stand in the way of God declaring you righteous in His sight. The law, the law no longer has the ability to condemn you. Now that sounds dangerous, doesn't it? It sounds dangerous to religious people. What about morality? What about obedience? What about rules? What, what about all those things? Well, this is where Paul then goes. As he talks about a new identity, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That, that, that I've become a, a, a completely new person. You see, when you come to Christ in faith, in a sense, you enter into the gospel machine and you come out a miraculous new person. You're not the same old version with a nice wax job. You're not just cleaned up a bit. You're a new creation in Christ. And the new you in Jesus is something that has never existed before. And the faith that unites you to, to Jesus Christ, in, in that reality, you discover that everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. So as we said, his death is your death. But that's not all of it. His righteousness is your righteousness. God sees you as righteous and treats you as righteous, not because you are righteous in yourself, but because you are in Christ. And by union with Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. The status of Christ is imputed to you. He is the Son of God. You become the sons and daughters of God. His resurrected eternal life becomes true of you. You've been raised with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's, um, that's incredible truth. So the resurrected life of Jesus Christ is the life that you now live. It's, it, it is eter His eternal life is your eternal life. His destiny then is your destiny. It has to be. The spirit that dwelt in Christ dwells in you to ensure that everything that Christ has accomplished for you is actually given to you. So, so the gospel, you see, is it's not just something you believe. It's something that happens to you. Something that God does for you in Christ that actually makes you a different person, a new person. Now, this answers the concern. Well, what about morality? What about obedience? You see, if Christ lives in you, you will hunger for obedience. You will long for holiness. It doesn't mean that you won't sin. You will sin. Um, your flesh is still flesh. Your flesh will still love to sin. 
But if Christ dwells within you, there is a new power at work within you that means that you can't live in your sin. You can't stay there. You'll grieve your sin. And and though your flesh will enjoy it, your soul will hate it, and, and Christ in you will be a power that is moving you towards true righteousness and holiness, a power that the law never possessed. You see, all the thou shalt nots, do you know how many people don't sin because of thou shalt not? It has a, maybe a mild restraining effect, but Paul actually says in Romans chapter 7 that when the law came, I died because the law said thou shalt not covet, and man did I covet. The law made sin spring to life in me. You can listen to thou shalt not all your life, and you still will. Because you're sinful by nature. And, you, and unless, you see, uh, Christ changes you, you'll always be stuck in your sin. But when Christ comes, the change, this is where so many Christians get confused. Christians think that when Christ comes, uh, and if he's actually changed me, that means I won't sin anymore, or I won't desire sin anymore. It's just not true. It means that you'll hate the sin that your flesh loves. It means that you'll grieve the sin that you once uh, rejoiced in. It means that there's this battle going on within you uh, because the Spirit of Christ is within you and that there's a power at work within you so that you actually can grow and you will grow. I love what uh, John Bunyan says, or I think it's Newton. Run, John, run, the law demands. That's what the law says. Do it, do it. Run, John, run. But gives me neither feet nor hands. I can't run. I can't keep the law. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the power of Christ in you. Well, how then do, how do we live in that reality? How do we exercise the wings? I don't know of a better summary in all of scripture than this. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, there's two foundational things to, that we have to understand if we're going to live the Christian life. And that is we have to learn how to live by faith and trust in love. We have to learn to live by faith. Paul, I love what he says, the life I live in the flesh. That means the life I live in, in the reality of this broken, sinful world and the reality of this not yet perfected self. Uh, we live the Christian life in the midst of weakness and failure and sin and fear. And that's why it's critical that we live it in faith. What does it mean to live by faith? In, in, I mean, in practice. Well, Paul means it in contrast to living by law. Remember, he tried living by law. He was a Pharisee. He had a master's degree in living by law. He, did, uh, he was scrupulous, incredibly so, in doing what the law says to do and not doing what the law says don't do, and it killed him. And when the law came and said, thou shalt not covet, Paul says, I died. I, I was a dead man. Because not only did he realize he was a covetous man, he really he couldn't change the fact that he was a covetous man. And the, and the law seemed to make him covet even more. Living by the law will exhaust you and kill you. Let me just ask you do, you, do you feel like a spiritual failure this morning? You feel like you're trying as hard as you can and it's just not working. You're doing everything you know to do. 
And it's just not helping. You keep messing up. You keep falling into sin. Your lust and your anger and your selfishness and your pride and your impatience and your covetousness and your stupidity, it just keeps getting the better of you. And you, and you just can't fathom that, that you're actually maybe a Christian or that God could actually love you. Friends, that's living by law. That's living by law. Jesus calls you to live by faith. What's the difference? Conrad, again, says it so well. He says, living by law is a life of trying, trying, trying. Living by faith is a life of trusting, trusting, trusting. Two different things. Living a life by faith means that I live by trusting that Jesus died for me, trusting that all my sin was paid for on the cross, trusting that God does not impute my sin against me, that God is not holding my sin between me and him, and, and, and he might discipline me, he might chastise me in love, but he will never impute my sin to me. Uh, living by faith means believing, trusting that though I am a great sinner, Jesus Christ is a greater Savior. It means trusting that I actually do belong to Him. And it means trusting that I am loved by Him. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It's the only, it's the only Son of God uh, Paul knows. It's the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, the biblical gospel is so personal. It's... It, it's, it's, it's a conviction that Jesus loved me, that Jesus, when he died in that cross, did not die to open up a million you know, slots in heaven for whoever might be interested. Jesus did not die for a nameless mass of sinners. The Christian confession is Jesus died for me. He died for me. He died for Dale Van Dyke with all of his wickedness and all of his sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross for Dale Van Dyke. That's the Christian confession. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you with all your wickedness and all your sin because he loved you. Because he loved you. That's why he gave his life for you. And he could not love you more, right? No greater love has, any, uh, has no man than this. A greater love has no man than this. But that he laid down his life for his friends, and that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He gave himself, the Son of God gave himself on a cross for you. For you, personally you. To rescue you from the penalty of the law to purchase you for himself so that he might dwell within you and, and that you might dwell eternally with him. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Friends, that's the gospel proclamation and that's the Christian confession. In spite of all my weakness, all my failure, all my sin, all my fear, Jesus loves me. Jesus gave himself for me so that the realities of the gospel are mine in him and that then is the power for living the Christian life that produces both great humility and great peace confidence even in the midst of the battle joy even in the midst of failure Jesus loves me this I know the Bible tells me so that's you see a Christian life then that's a life of trusting instead of just trying. It's a life of grace instead of a life of guilt. It's a life of faith instead of a life of law. Knowing, trusting, day by day, Jesus loved me. Jesus loves me. 
and nothing will ever separate me from his love. And the reason you can know it to be true is to look to the cross of Jesus where he died for you. There are people who grew up in the church and live all their life in the church and never understand this gospel. They go through the motions, they do the works, they try to avoid sin, they try to be a good Christian, and they never know this confession. They never are able to say, or they don't don't understand that it's essential to say, Jesus died for me. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're just, you're doing the motions. It's all you know. The gospel calls you to know something vastly better, vastly greater. Do you know this morning, can you say, Jesus died for me. Jesus loved me and gave his life for me. And you might say, well, how could I possibly know that? You just receive it by faith that if you confess your sin, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess your sin, if you come to Jesus, not as a means of trying harder, but you come to Jesus to trust that he loves you. He gave his life for you. He paid the penalty. God will not impute your sin to you. You are loved forever. That's the gospel. Jesus calls you this morning to believe it. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we we so quickly live by law and we're beaten up by the law because we sin and we can't stop sinning and, and the law can't give us power to stop sinning and and it's so discouraging, and I thank you for the gospel, a gospel for sinners, a gospel that promises us that there is grace, a mountain of grace, oceans of grace in Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, the life we live as a Christian is a life of faith where we trust the gospel. We trust that Jesus actually loved me, and he gave himself for me so that my record is clean because I now bear the record of Christ. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm loved in Christ. I'm adopted in Christ. I've been justified in Christ. I'm being sanctified in Christ. I'll be glorified in Christ and nothing can prevent any of those things from taking place as I belong to Jesus and that by faith. And Father, if there be some here this morning who have never understood this gospel, and maybe today for the first time and, and, and understand that they've been trying but they've not been trusting. Lord, I pray that today you would just give them the faith to receive this good news and then to go about the war with sin in a brand new way, not by striving but by resting in Jesus and believing all that he is and all that he's done and all that he promises and, and receiving his love and loving him in return and then walking by faith, walking in love, and seeing what Jesus can do. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless this message to our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the word this morning, singing the hymn, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Let's stand to sing.